amen. Take your Bibles and turn back with me to Philippians in chapter number 2. Philippians chapter number 2 again as we um, look at this uh, passage again tonight. We started um, actually Wednesday night, uh, but then continued this morning. Now just real quick before we read our text, let's just be reminded. Verses 1 through 4 has to do with the subject of unity and how to have unity. Remember he uses terms, do nothing through strife, vainglory. He talks about humbling ourselves. In other words, he talks about not, uh, put, not putting ourselves over others and those type things. And then, as I said this morning, he gives four examples in Philippians 2 of what that looks like lived out. And of course, of those four examples, the supreme example is the person of the Lord Jesus. And as I said this morning, that when you begin in verse 5, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. You remember we talked about that, that that means let this mind that was in Christ, that was at rest in Him, be at rest in you. Now, when he begins to unveil verses 6 through verse uh, 8 especially, you begin to find out exactly how Christmas was seen through the eyes of the Lord, looking ahead. As I said this morning, when we look at Christmas, we look back. But what we're seeing here is how Christ saw what we call Christmas from eternity past looking ahead. And I hope and pray after this morning you began to get a different view of what really happened on that time that we call Christmas. Now, we began looking at 5, 6, and we looked at the first phrase of verse 7. I want us to stand in reverence, and I want to read 5, 6 again to you, just to remind us of what we looked at this morning, and then I'm going to begin in the second part of verse 7. Let this mind be in you, which also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation. Now, that's all we got to this morning. Now, here's where we're going to pick up. And took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Let's pray. Father, I pray you'd be my thoughts and my words. I pray that you would articulate these truths in accordance with your divine word as you intended them to be for your glory. In Jesus' name, all God's children said, amen. Well, I want us to begin at this phrase in the middle of verse 7, but took upon him the form of a servant. This is talking about the manifestation of Christ. Now you say, what do you mean? Well, Christ not, did not come and just become born of a virgin, born in a manger. He came, and he came as a servant. Now the word here is the word dulios bond servant. Now you've heard me deal with that word many, many times over. A bond servant is not someone that serves out of duty, are not someone that serves because he has to. 
A bondservant is someone that serves out of delight. So in other words, when it says here that the Lord took up the form of a bondservant, he's saying here that he literally came to the place of allowing himself out of delight, and I would say to you out of the love of a bondservant, to serve his father. Now one of the things that I'm going to say a million times in this message, because I'm going to deal with something later on that if I don't say this a million times, you're going to take it wrong. But I want to say it again. Christ never, ever ceased to be God. Are you all with me? But what we're dealing with here is now Christ as man. So we need to make sure that we understand that. He was God, never ceased to be God, but he became man. And becoming man, he became man out of a love relationship as a bondservant. Now, you remember the, the passage on the bondservant in Exodus 21? It, when, a, when a servant would go to his master and say, I do not want to go free, for I love you, at that moment, that servant serves that master forever. And so the relationship that the son had with the father, that bridge of unity between the son and the father, guess what? It was the bridge of unity based upon a love relationship. And the Bible teaches us that our relationship with him is on the same basis. The Bible says he shed abroad in our hearts the love of God. The Bible says the love of God captures us, constrains us. In other words, the love of God is the motivation whereby we make ourselves available to him for his glory, for his will, and for his purpose. In other words, obedience shouldn't be a something that I have to do. Obedience ought to be something you long to do. Because of your love relationship with him. And so as the Lord Jesus walked up on this earth for those 33 and a half years, there was never a moment, never a time, when the Father gave him direction and the Lord said, well, if I have to, I will. That never happened. Every command of the Father, every leadership of the Father, every prompting of the Father was delightfully, joyously obeyed. Why? Because there was a love relationship. And this is how Christ manifested himself. But not only the love of a bondservant, but the loyalty of the bondservant. The word here for bondservant, or the word servant here, it speaks of this, this word dulios. It means to be bound to another. So in other words, Christ allowed himself to be bound, identified with the Father, in obedience to the Father. Now, here's the thing. God, God the Son, in His absolute deity in heaven, was always one with God, manifesting the fullness of the glory of God, never ceased to manifest that fullness of glory in heaven. And now all of a sudden, taking up the form of a servant and being a bondservant, now all of a sudden we find something the Lord Jesus had to walk in that He had never known before. And you say, what was that? He had to be obedient as man. So now I'm going to put it to you this way. So as God, but yet as man, the Lord Jesus as man had to be obedient 
to the God that he was. But his allegiance was to the Father, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they're one. Y'all with me? Say amen. Just manifested in three ways. And so the Lord Jesus as man, now listen, lived as a bondservant and absolute complete loyalty to the Heavenly Father. And never one time did he deviate. You remember when Mary questioned him when he stayed back at the temple? What did the Lord say? Woman. He didn't call her Mary there. He said, woman. He said, know not that I must be about my what? In other words, I've been bound to him. And even my family relationship here cannot separate that. Now, y'all get that in a minute. Because here's what happens. Many times we put our family relationships over obedience to the Father. And the Lord Jesus was bound to the Father in oneness and identity, in unity. But not only that, you see, thirdly, the life of a bondservant. The, the phrase that I used in Exodus 21, that he now serves him forever. In other words, this life of the Lord Jesus now becomes a life of one step of service to another step of service to another step of service to another step of service. And, and let me tell you, let me remind you again that, that this mind that was in Christ that ought to be at rest in you was a mind, a way of thinking in which service to God was a privilege and not a task. And if there was any self about the Lord, there would have been the temptation to say no to God. But there was no self about the Lord. Remember I quoted this morning, he did nothing to what? Please self. And so the Lord Jesus in this unity displayed what we read in verses 1 through 4, displayed that in his life, not only in coming of no reputation that we talked about this morning, but also in becoming in the form of a servant. Now let me show you the second thing. Not only the manifestation of Christ, but the manhood of Christ. Look what it says. It says, and made in the likeness of man. The word likeness here has the idea of being made into something that you're not. Now, let me help you understand that. As God in heaven, then as man on earth. So in other words, the Lord Jesus was willing as God in heaven to become man on earth. Now, you say, well, why in the world would he do that? Well, listen. To be in the likeness of man was essential for our redemption. I mean, it had to take place. There's no other way. Look at, look at a couple of things with me. This likeness of man. Why did the Lord Jesus have to come in the likeness of man? Well, we're going to find this out in just a minute, but I want to go on and give it to you now because I want to repeat it a hundred times over. Because God cannot die. But the wages of sin is what? So if God cannot die, then how did Jesus die? As man. But not only did he have to become as man to die, 
He had to come as man to reveal. Because remember, Christ had to become man as God created man to be. When God created Adam, remember how he created Adam. He created Adam in sinless perfection in that everything about Adam before the fall was God-centered in everything that Adam did. He never thought a thought outside of God. He never did a deed outside of God until he fell. But now the Lord Jesus, never been a man since, that had been the example of what God created man to be until the Lord Jesus was born in Bethlehem in a virgin's womb. And in that moment, guess what? God now has a man that is man like God created man to be. And now man can now see through the life of the Lord Jesus what God's trying to do in each of our lives. You see, all this had to happen. And so when the Lord Jesus looked upon this moment that we call Christmas, looking forward to it, he was looking upon it knowing that he was going to have to come to a place of obedience to the Father who he was one with, and at the same time, in the likeness of man, he was now going to have to die. But before he died, he was going to have to be the visual expression of a holy God through human flesh. You see, this is why he had to become like man. Now, listen to what I'm about to say. The wording used here is very picturesque. Took up on him. Here's what it means. When it says he took up on him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. That word made is what I want to key on. The word's translated to be born in the likeness of man. And what makes it unique is this. The voice of the word is what we call a middle voice. Now you say, preacher, here you go again with these words. All right, let, let me explain it again, okay? Remember, you got passive means somebody's operating on your behalf to make it reality. You got active, which means you are acting on your own behalf to make it reality. Middle takes the two and brings them together. So now let me ask you a question. Was the birth of the Lord Jesus a supernatural birth? Absolutely. How many agree he was born of the Holy Spirit? Man had no part in his birth. Y'all with me? So there's the passive. But did Christ willingly become a participant? There's the active. So in other words, Christ Jesus was made in the likeness of man. How? By a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit of God putting his life in a virgin womb, but at the same time, Christ in all times and every way was more than willing to say yes to God and become man. This is the glory of Christmas. Now, let me show you this. Not only in the manhood of Christ, you see the likeness of man, but the limitations of man. What do you mean limitations? Well, let me ask you a question. As deity in heaven, was Christ confined to time? As deity in heaven, was he confined to space? He was omnipresent. He was omniscient. 
as deity in heaven, he wasn't confined to time, he wasn't confined to space, but as man. He's now confined to time and space. As man, he lived under the limitations that you and I live under. And as man, now listen to what I'm about to say, he experienced many of the frailties that you and I experience. As man, did he get hungry? Did he get thirsty? As man, now listen to this, did he ever weep? What does it say at Lazarus' tomb? Jesus what? Shortest verse of the Bible. Now think about this. As God in heaven, there's no tears. What does the Bible say when we get there? There'll be no more what? Tears or sorrow or pain? As God in heaven, he knew, never knew tears. But as man on earth, there were tears. If you want to know the full blunt of that, go to the Garden of Gethsemane. If you want to know the limitations of God being man, go to the Garden of Gethsemane. What do you find out? That here was Christ as man under the agony and the weight of knowing what was coming. And let me tell you something. It didn't begin in the Garden. Christ knew it all from eternity. But it came to a culmination in the Garden. And he wept. And he wept. And there was such a burden upon him that his capillaries began to rupture and droplets of blood became to come from his brow because of the pressure as man that he was now under. So how did Christ see Christmas? You see, he never equated Christmas to just be his birth. He equated Christmas to be what came out of his birth. And can you imagine for all of eternity, knowing as omniscient God that there was in his time as man a moment when all the pressure of becoming sin for you and I and what that would mean in broken fellowship with God, which he had never known, would be reality. You see the likeness of man, the limitation of man. And I'm going to say it again. Why in the world would he do that? I said that a couple times this morning. I'm going to say it again. If he knew that, why would he do it? Because he never, ever, put himself above the Father and above the Father's will, which was others. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. You see, it's amazing what we see here in this passage when you begin to break it down. I want you to see, thirdly, the motivation of Christ. Watch what it says. Verse 8. And being found in the fashion of a man, he humbled himself. Now, you, this word found here 
is simply, simply in the passive means that God fashioned him as a man. In other words, it was God that brought him as a man. But here's the thing I want you to understand. The reality is to step down as deity and step into humanity, there's not a greater act of humility that's ever been accomplished upon this world. Because he would know all that it would encompass. He would know all that would come out of it. He would know that in that moment when he stepped out of of heaven's glory and stepped into humanity, that the ultimate humility would be this, that not only was he stepping out of heaven's glory and stepping into humanity, but he was stepping into humanity and walking to Calvary. And he knew that would be the end of his life as man on this earth. And this would lead to the humiliation of Christ. Because what Christ endured was the most humiliating thing that could ever happen. Can you imagine? Now, I just want, you got your your, your spiritual imagination on with me? Y'all say amen? Can you imagine that Roman soldier that spit in the face of the Lord Jesus? when he stood before God? Can you imagine that this man spit in the face of God incarnate? Could you imagine the two soldiers at the foot of the cross that cast lots for his garments? Standing before God. Could you imagine the one that had the hammer in his hands, nailing him to the cross? Can you imagine the one that placed that that crown of thorns upon his brow? Can you imagine the one that had the cat of nine tails that scourged him? You see, Christ knew all along to humble himself and become in the fashion of a man would also be humiliation as man. Are you with me? All right, now. Everything I preached this morning and everything I've preached up to this point, all that's the introduction. You ready for the message now? All leads to this last point, the message of Christ. If you want to know what a mind or the way of thinking of unity looks like, look at the last phrase of verse 8, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. I want to break this down with you, okay? This word, became obedient. Now, remember what I said, as God, deity in heaven, he had never known obedience. But as man, he had to obey. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 8 says, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things he suffered. And by the way, this word here, became obedient, is also in the middle. In other words, it was God the Father through the Holy Spirit that enabled him to be obedient as man. But yet at the same time, he had to willingly submit 
to what the Spirit was doing in his life and what the God the Father was directing him to do. In other words, he was a willing participant as God was enabling him through the Holy Spirit to be obedient to him. I want to tell you something. It was only by the Spirit of God that Christ as man never allowed his face to flinch from Calvary as man. So what does this death mean? And what took place? What really took place when he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross? I want to look at a few things with you tonight, the abandonment of Christ. Matthew chapter 27, verse 46. And about the ninth hour, Christ cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama shabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now, before I go into this, I want to remind you of one thing. There was never a moment ever that Christ ceased to be God. I want everybody to say that with me. There was never a moment that Christ ceased to be God. So everything I'm fixing to show you, I want you to understand it from that truth. Y'all with me? Say amen. But he didn't die as God. He died as man. So what does this word forsaken mean? If Christ prayed, and literally it was a prayer, he cried unto the Father, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Notice he couldn't use the term Father. It's the only time in all of Scripture that God the Son couldn't call his heavenly Father, Father. Why? He became sin for you and I. At that moment, when he became our sin. But watch this with me. This word abandon. Why hast thou forsaken me? Here's what it means. And I'm going to give you all the definitions. It means to abandon, to desert, to leave helpless, to leave destitute. In other words, when Christ Jesus became sin, he was totally, unequivocally abandoned by the Father and by the Holy Spirit. All right, let me prove it to you. All right, let me say it again. Christ never, ever ceased to be God. Y'all got it again? Say amen. All right, what made him God? I mean, did the indwelling Holy Spirit that, that we find out in Luke 4.1 as man, does that make him God? He was God before the Spirit came alive in him as man. Do you all agree with that? Say amen. All right. So, so would you agree it wasn't the indwelling Holy Spirit that made him God? All right. But as man, was he absolutely dependent upon the indwelling Holy Spirit? Is God holy? Can God have anything to do with sin? Is the Holy Spirit holy? So what does it mean when he said, "Why, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken, abandoned, destitute, left me alone? What does it mean? At that moment on the cross, now hear me. Fellowship with God. Where does fellowship with God come from? How do you have fellowship with God? All right. Would you agree at that moment that fellowship with God was severed? 
How was it severed if the Holy Spirit was still in him? That moment that he became your sin and mine, I want you to hear me, as man, I'm going to say it again, as God, he never ceased to be God. As man, the Holy Spirit departed from him. And left him abandoned and destitute. No wonder in the Garden of Gethsemane he bled sweat droplets of blood. Now let me prove this to you, okay? I want you to understand this. So that's the definition of forsaken. Notice the denial of the forsaken. When the Lord made that cry, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Would you agree it was in the form of a prayer? Where did God answer it? What was God's response? Was his response, oh son, listen, my Holy Spirit's in you, you're fine. God denied him an answer. Why? Because God had to totally forsake his own son as man. As man. There's a passage in Leviticus. How many agree that offerings depict all that took place with Christ at the cross? All right. There's a passage in Leviticus chapter 5, verse 11. It's speaking of the sin offering. And when it's speaking of the sin offering, there was a provision made for the poor. This provision that God made for the poor was if they didn't have the finances to bring an animal for sacrifice or two turtle doves for a sacrifice, they could bring a tenth part of an ephod of flour for the sacrifice, for their sin, to atone for their sin. But God made a specification. Notice what it says in the passage, down to the very bottom. Neither shall he put any frankincense thereon, for it is a sin offering. What did frankincense represent in Scripture? Answered prayer. You go through Scripture, frankincense was on the altar of incense. Representing the prayers of the saints that went to a holy God. Frankincense represented prayer in its answer. Now here's the thing. So why did God make a provision? You can bring an ephod of flour, but you can't have frankincense on it. Because if it's a picture of Christ, here would be the reality that when Christ was forsaken by God because he became your sin and mine. Remember, he never sinned. Because God had to forsake him. God couldn't answer him. Now, y'all still with me? Say Amen. All right, so look at this with me. The abandon of Christ leads to the anguish of Christ. So what was the nature of this anguish? When he became obedient unto death, as man he died. The anguish, the nature of this anguish was of such that in glory, all he knew was perfect unity and perfect harmony with the Father and the Holy Spirit. On earth, all he knew was perfect unity and perfect fellowship with God the Father through the Holy Spirit. 
But at that moment on the cross, all that was gone. When he was in the garden, the Holy Spirit enabled him. When he lived as man, the Holy Spirit enabled him. The Holy Spirit directed him. The Holy Spirit governed him. The Holy Spirit comforted him. Hey, listen, every step the Lord took for 33 and a half years, the Holy Spirit was always consciously present and always manifested himself in the Lord Jesus. But that moment, here's Christ. No fellowship with the Father because of the absence of the Holy Spirit. I want you to hear me. As man. I'm going to say it again. As God, he never ceased to be God. As man. So you want to talk about anguish. There it is. So what did Christmas mean to Jesus? He knew for eternity past. This moment would take place. And he still willingly became man. And he still willingly went to the cross. Why? Not for himself. For you. In obedience to God. I want to read a quote by Kenneth Weiss. Listen to this. The very God of very God, who never ceased to be God, but now under human limitations as the man, Christ Jesus, sinless and holy in himself, but laden with all the sins of human race that had committed since Adam's fall and will yet commit until the time of the great white throne judgment, abandoned by heaven, spurned by earth, having become sin for us, suffering the cruel pains of the cross. He had none of that help which the Holy Spirit alone could give him. Hence the cry, why? The only cry not initiated by the Holy Spirit. For it came from the depths of a heart, breaking with infinite woe. Now, let me give you a contract. How many of you agree there's been Christians all across our history been martyred? We have eyewitness accounts of many times Christians being martyred in some of the most horrendous ways. Lion's dens, burn at the stake, stonings. And eyewitness accounts through history give accounts that these Christians, some being burned at the stake, some being thrown to the lion, some being stoned to death, in the midst of their stoning or in the midst of the flames or in the midst of being in front of the lions, they would sing praises unto God and rejoice unto the Lord. Worthy is the Lamb. And they would sing and they would sing and they would sing and they would sing. How did they do it? Because the Holy Spirit was in them and the Holy Spirit was literally enabling them comforting them making them rejoice making them understand through dying grace the glory that's ahead of them 
but Jesus didn't sing. Jesus didn't praise his Father. Because Jesus was left alone for your sake and mine. Let this mind be at rest in you that was in rest in Christ Jesus. Knowing this from eternity past, he willingly laid aside, veiled the divine glory of God with human flesh, willingly went to the cross, knowing that for the period of three to six hours, He would be left alone. You say, preacher, what's an Old Testament passage that proves this? Give you two. The Leviticus 5.11 passage. No frankincense and no what? What's all a picture of in Scripture? Let me give you another one. The scapegoat. All the sins of Israel were confessed upon the head of a scapegoat. He was led way out into the wilderness where he couldn't return. And with no water and he would thirst to death. And the Bible says by himself. With all the sins of man in Israel. He would die alone. Hebrews 1.3 says... By himself, Christ Jesus purged our sins. Scapegoat. Abandoned, destitute, alone. Let me close this out. Look lastly. The necessity of anger. Why was it a necessity that the Lord endure this anguish? Because what was the purpose of Calvary? It was to reverse the curse that was placed upon Adam in the fall. Would you agree with that? Say amen. What was the curse of Adam at the fall? Separation from God. Spiritual death. So only Christ as man experiencing that moment of abandonment from the Spirit of God and the Father could undo the curse that was laid upon Adam and everyone that come after Adam. How could he undo that spiritual separation from God if he never experienced it himself? As man. As God, he never ceased to be God. If I got that point through to you now, y'all say amen. Never cease to be God. You say, well, I don't understand. How could he be God and as man die? Well, listen, if you got it figured out, you're greater than I am. Y'all say amen. Explain to me the Trinity. If you can explain that, you're better than I am too. Amen? I mean, there's some things you just got to receive by faith. And it was a necessity that he endure this moment of separation.
All right, lastly, the acceptance of Christ. Boy, I'm liable to have a spell when I share this, okay? But that's all right. Y'all say amen. What was the last words on the cross? Father, not God, Father, into thy hands I commit my what? So something took place. The Spirit of God, because He became our sin and He's holy and God is holy and God can have nothing to do with, uh, with, with, with sin, the Spirit of God abandoned the Lord Jesus. The fellowship of God was severed from the Lord Jesus, and he endured a separation from God, even though he never ceased to be God. But as man, he endured a separation from God. But yet as he endured that, and that cross, God the Father slammed down the gavel of justice and said, Justified, I accept the sacrifice of my Son. Now restore unto him. And now with the Spirit of God in him, he could say, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. You say, preacher, you can't prove that anywhere else. Yes, I can. First Peter, look at it. First Peter chapter 3. I want to read verse 18 and 19 because I want to make sure you understand it. Notice what it says. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh. But watch this. But quickened by the what? Now you say, well, preacher, that's talking about his physical resurrection. That's not talking about a spiritual work on the cross. Oh, it is. You say, how do you know? Read the next verse. Because watch what it says in the next verse. By which, by which what? Being quickened by the Spirit. By which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. When did God, when did God the Son descend into the other parts of the earth and preach captivity captive? While he was still in the grave. He hadn't resurrected yet from the dead bodily. But can I tell you, on the cross, God resurrected him spiritually. Because God was satisfied with the sacrifice of his son. Do you want to know what Christmas meant to him? My, what a God we serve. Father, I stand speechless in awe of what you allowed to take place with your son that we could know you through your redeeming work. Father, I stand amazed that knowing from eternity past what it truly was going to mean to become Emmanuel, God with us, to be made like man, 
But Father, your Son, your Spirit, all in one accord, willingly said yes. Father, this is the cup that Jesus was talking about at the garden. Never knowing one millisecond of broken fellowship, much less abandonment. Just the thought of it crushed our Lord. But Father, thank you. That Christ did nothing to please himself. Oh, Father, let this mind be at rest in us that was in rest in Christ Jesus. For your honor, your glory, and your namesake. In Jesus' holy and precious name. And all God's children said,